Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it and travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel, it's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. This is Full Change with Tom Laidlaw. Hello, everybody. Hi, Tom. Tom, how are you? I'm doing well. Tom's. What's your middle name? Augustus. I guess it was Thomas Augustus. It is. Yeah, that's a good movie. Lonesome Dove, right? Augustus. I, I think it was Robert D. Robert Duvall played Augustus. Bobby D. So, oh, he's a he's actually a, a good buddy of my buddy, Barry, who was a cinematographer. We're going to get Barry Markman's on the show, too, on our sideshow. But yeah, he said- oh, Robert Duvall. He said, Bobby D is the greatest guy in the world. He loves him. Well, that's one of the best Western. Well, it's a series, but it's uh, Robert Duvall, uh, Tommy Lee Jones. Get really good there. He's retired uh, sheriffs or something like that, or- Federal police or whatever it was out the horses and all that kind of oh, stuff. That's right up your alley. Oh, you, I know you don't watch TV much. I actually just got rid of my cable. I said, you know, what am I paying my cable for? Yeah, then, you know, well, uh-oh, what's going to happen when hockey season comes along? Well, uh, well, we've got a system. I guess so. Anyway, fair enough. You can find a way. Just go to the guard. Go to Delta. That's right. Watch the game. Over your house. You're welcome. Uh, yeah. Bring your food. Yeah. You only like Westerns? Like, do you watch any other movies? Are you... If I was to go back and watch a movie, like, you know what? I now I've really gotten into YouTube a lot, like watching a lot of educational stuff. But also, you go down that rabbit hole. Yeah, sure. Yeah, it's Western movies. Uh, you know, like a good Clint Eastwood movie, something like that. I, I it's funny. Well, I was a Clint Eastwood fan going to college at Northern Michigan University, and Walt and John Kyle, you two brothers from Waterloo, Iowa, I became good friends with. We actually lived. They were John Wayne fans. Well, Kyle coached with the Rangers, right? Yes, he did. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he coached at Northern Michigan for many years. Uh, I think they need you business now. Um, so uh, they were both like, no, no, John Wayne is the way to go. Like John, and I look back and I like, plenty uh, of back then is more like the spaghetti Westerns. Like John sure. Wayne was like, you know, the searchers and all yeah. that stuff. John Wayne, uh, one of famous John Wayne's, I thought it said more, but the searchers was apparently the searchers was one of the movies that people copied more, like learned a lot from movies back then. What was it? Glenn Ford. I can't remember who it was. was the, uh, uh, but anyways, John Wayne would say, that'll be the day. That was your John Wayne impression. That's terrible. No, it's not the voice part of it. It's like the whole, it's... That'll be the day. That'll be the day. Often, yeah, but you got to uh, listen, Pilgrim. You got you to get a little more into it. You're too Canadian. That'll be the day, eh? Do you do, you do annotations? Like, I don't. Your kids imitate me really. They do. They do that. Uh, everyone who's listened to our show to the end hears that Tom says, all right, everybody, we got a fantastic show. Show next time. <laughs> and my children, Molly, especially Molly, oh. Julie, and even Thomas do it. They oh. do it all over the house. First time we were at the, the we were at the fair, the uh, New Year's. Oh, it was yeah, it was New Year's Eve in Westwood, New Jersey. Oh, they, I guess I didn't realize how I sounded. They were doing it. I went back to watch it later. Fantastic show, you know it. Eh? Yeah, you're so Canadian. 
but back to TV, you don't listen to, you don't watch uh, Shorzy, which is our buddy Terry Ryan's show. Yeah. You gotta watch it, man. Uh, you know what? In support of Terry Ryan, I do need to watch it. I just have gotten out of watching all those guys' shows. I think the last show I really watched all the time was like Two and a Half Men. Oh, God. Thanks, yeah. You, you didn't watch like The Sopranos? No. Oh, what a great show. I never saw any episode of Seinfeld either. People, well, I, didn't watch, I never watched Seinfeld no. either. I thought but that was. People say they didn't watch Seinfeld. I didn't watch them, yeah. But how about the, you didn't see Breaking Bad? Uh, Breaking Bad, nope, none of that. Wow. No, none of those shows. There was a show. Um, the Wire, you didn't watch The Wire? So you just, you only watch like the modern day John Wayne characters. Yeah. So, my sons will call sometimes and they'll want to watch something else. And I'll watch something else and enjoy it, but it wouldn't be something I would ever put on just by myself. So what have you watched with your sons that you've enjoyed recently? Nothing. Yeah. They, well, they've gotten older too, so they're not TV watchers. This is more when they were younger. I'm sure they've seen The Sopranos. I'm sure they've seen Breaking Bad. Sopranos is great television. It's so well done. Yeah, I don't know if they have. Uh, you know what? I, I think it's Yellowstone. I've watched a few episodes of that. Yeah, I, I haven't watched it, but I did watch um, 1888, 1883, 1888, whatever the prequel was. Right. It was awesome. Right. I, I think it was 18. They did 1923, and that's another, uh, that's that family, that Dutton family. And it, the shows are great. Oh, yeah, it was good. The bad guy and the uh, the character, too, the guy was the beating people up all the time. He was like there. But that's something you could watch. Yeah. Uh, here's a show, a movie uh, has just come out apparently, and I, I watched a video on these people that analyzed the movie. Just Friends too. Oh, that's uh, Sound of Freedom. Yeah, yeah, that looks pretty heavy. That's be one like I mean, you want to? I mean, see, I guess part of what uh, amazing when these people were talking about it, I think it was a reel on uh, Instagram or something. They're they're analyzing. It. They're more analyzing the whole topic of the sex yeah. slave and how uh, the major studios didn't want that to air it's it was made like five years ago why why i mean it's, it's like you're trying to hide something. Any, just, you have to anyone who fucks with kids yeah it is horrible and anyone who supports that well, it's almost like we just that's one of those things we don't want to face again going back to my involvement with michelle kennedy hockey player yep. up canada was sexually abused by his junior coach he came forward uh, graham james was a coach she was put in prison yep. for it's not enough yeah not, not enough but it really, I, I, like I was naive too. It really opened my eyes. Listen, this problem isn't going away just because we don't talk about it. It goes, it's going on right now. It's everywhere. Yeah. And it's, it's horrible. And I, you have kids, they're grown. I have kids and it's, it, it breaks your heart because you just can't hurt kids. Man. Yeah. Well, and, I, and like I said, okay, so it's, we know it's out there. Uh, we know the type of people, well, you know, the, the predators, you know, they, they're, I hate to say it like this, but they're, they're intelligent people. They know how to pick on the right. I kids. think crafty is probably better than intelligent, but yeah. So Sneaky. we don't, it's like we want to sweep it on. Can't. Yeah. It's just. It's almost, it's like something that people don't want to talk about. Right. You know. Yeah. And it's like, okay, it's, you don't want to talk about it until half is your child. Right. right. And then you want to bring your right. hell on everybody. So, yeah. So, I mean, you, you have to protect the kids no matter where they're from. If they're coming up from South America, if they're here, if they're foster homes. Or, yeah. There's a, yeah. It's, and one it's, of the biggest things that we've learned is uh, these predators, again, will pick on kids largely that. Don't have a good support system. Don't, yeah. don't have a father at yeah. home. That's kind of stuff. Uh, and that's why it's another reason why. Uh, listen, if you're going to have kids, I maybe mean, it's a lifeline, lifelong commitment to have kids. It doesn't go away. One hundred percent. Cradle the grave. Yeah. But you, you know, it's funny. You see, it's not funny, but you watch those Chris Hansen videos. Remember, he had the, those Dateline videos where he, yeah, yeah, to catch a predator. Yeah. And then there's other guys who are out there doing it, and they all say the same thing. They're always like, "Oh, this is the first time." Yeah. It's like, no, there's no chance that's the first time. And they were at, you know, like all the, even like Epstein. So a famous man, he's got his own island where they're taking kids there with famous people. That's King Charles and a lot, lot of Clinton. people, a lot of people, uh, Prince Andrew, a lot of people being protected and yeah. it goes very high up and it's a very, yeah. I mean, it's just, 
again, again, I don't want to pick on the NHL. I, I really do admire the things they've done, but we had that incident in Chicago yep. uh, where a young player was uh, abused. And I, I thought, and again, they're not, the NHL isn't here to protect all the kids in the world, but sure. I thought that was a great opportunity for them to really say, okay, let's, I mean, I hate to say use this, but yeah, like it is an opportunity for us to really help a lot of other people and, and selfishly make the NHL look good. The NHL is, is a, a fantastic group of people. It's a businessman too. Yeah. They're, they're there to make money. Uh, but they do so many other great things. I mean, we went through the whole situation with Barry Beck and Mark Pavlich and everything. And, uh, and Barry at first was, you know, he was over in Hong Kong and it really took the stats that the NHL, NHL, NHL Players Association, NHL alumni and the alumni players in general don't do anything to help other former players. Now, for me, I've been involved like as an agent for all those years and still in the area doing yep. the alumni stuff. I, I see that that's just not true. Uh, but the difference is that when people do, like Glenn State is a good example, president of the New York Rangers. He, I've heard stories of stuff he's done for former players, financially helped them. Yeah, in the shadows that nobody yep. knows about. Right. He gets a bad rep because he's because he's kind of surly, he's ornery. Yeah, totally. But he's, there's some players who have said he was, yeah, yeah, he went above and beyond for them. And that's a good thing. And that's, you know, that's the league's the same way. Like, you know, I, I got, got become friends and a lot of pl- former players like this with Bill Daly, the second chair. Sure. If somebody needs help, I can pick up the phone and call Bill Daly. That he may steer to somebody else or whatever, but it's going to start the ball. Do you know how many guys have said that about Bill Daly? Though? They're like, he's just a great guy. He's yeah. always available for you yeah. guys. And that's awesome. Yeah, it is. I think that's genuine. That's just who he is. I think it's a good, that's his role. Kind of, because yeah. Gary Bettman's the lead. He's yeah. got to be the harder guy, you know, make sure. sure all the tough decisions. Everything. Uh, and, but I think that's just who Bill Daly is. Well, that's almost like all these episodes where that's like the head coach and the assistant yeah. coach. You go to the assistant coach with the props first. Yeah. You know, that if it. You know, that's interesting too, because I was thinking about that the other day. Um, I talk about the power structure, you should call it in the team. Even like the captain, he's the same way. So he's got to make the top. He's got to stand up, maybe be a jerk sometime. Sure. And then it's the assistant captain's job then to fill in underneath and say, okay, this and this. Yeah. I and mean, then we need to follow the leader. Right. Yeah. You know? And that's sometimes people would, uh, Barry back and I played together. Barry's captain. I was assistant captain. Um, Barry would get hurt. Uh, most of the time they would put the C on my jersey. I would play better. And people would say, well, why don't you play that way? Because the C is a heavy letter. Well, yeah. But it's also, um, it's like, okay, I had a role and Herb Brooks made very clear what my role was. I was a defensive player. I was watching the game one time, the game where Barry back hurt his shoulder against the Islanders in 84. Bad flatly. Yep, bad flatly. And I remember watching the video and, uh, obviously I was bored watching the video for 84, but I picked up my play offensively once Barry went out of the lineup. I started carrying the yeah. more. I just, I was like, yeah, like, I really didn't notice it that much before, but I felt like, okay, this is my team. I have a role to play. Sure. And again, Herb, very clearly from the start, told me what my role was. And then also backed it up. If I if I did what he asked me to do, he would put me there in those key situations to show that I would- Yeah, you earned that. Yeah. So, yeah, and then it was, I, I was just, we were, I think it was when we were talking to Hitchcock about that whole, I think being in the locker room. Because I was getting goosebumps when Hitchcock was talking about, uh, I think it was Olympics one year. Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah, don't give that away. That's a great story. And yeah. But it brought back memories for you of being a bunch of NHL hockey playing men, you know. And it's, in LA, we had a really veteran team. And uh, so, I mean, you know, we heard, uh, arrived at Torico, I love, uh, was an excellent coach, but they really didn't have to coach that much because the team really coached the service so, You know, almost to a man, everyone we've asked on this show what they missed most, they always say the same thing. They say being in the room with the guys. His got got going there. I seriously, I was sitting here with the goosebumps going. I was like, oh, it's cool. Be back in the locker room. Well, how was it when you when you did the game in Philly or any other game you guys did Dallas or against the Islanders, the alumni games? How, do you, is it the same Philly or is it more goofy? Just like yeah, it's more goofy because again, there's different age groups. So uh, you know, Brandon Dubinsky, who I've never met before, he'll come in the locker room. So there's that little 
but again, we're both we're all former players. He gave me a hard time. It was after the uh, uh, after the game. Let's see, something about in the shower, something about oh, a brush or something. Oh, wait, hold on, shower time. Here we go. Yeah. Slow, slow it down. He's like he says, came up to me, and we really hadn't known each other. But he, he's pretty good smart ass too. And he comes up and goes, "So you kind of bore your brush?" <laughs> and at first, I was like, "When well, was pretty good." I, I that was there. You go. So yeah, look, those things are always, even the guys on the other team. Guys, like at Dallas, for example, we don't usually do this. We had one big locker room for both teams. Oh, that's cool. And uh, Gerald did it. Uh, he's put out two pounds. Oh, don't okay. <laughs> you pick on Gerald? Did it? Did. Come on, but he's got a good sense of humor. So I, I was, uh, I'd get partway dressed, and he's taking this. I'm waiting for him to take his clothes off. And uh, so I've got my camera up on my phone. Wait, let's get some music on. Somebody, stop. You get up at four o'clock in the morning, you got your own brand. <laughs> yeah, let the, give the guy some friggin' peace. He's showing up, but he probably get He then starts, he gets down to his underwear, pulls his underwear up, his assumed rest, and starts running around. Oh, the gosh. Room. So he's already, a, yeah, so it's not like it's, but it's like you're, you're in there with the, the stars. You're like a bunch of mites. Oh, all they all share the room together. More, more immature than mites. Probably, probably more immature than mites. I, I love, you know, our kid, I coach, as you, everyone who listens knows, I coach, I coach a, a, my team with uh, Lieutenant Andy, who's the head coach. And I, I assist the coach because, like you, I don't want that responsibility. Even for eight year olds, I just have to be an assistant and help out. But um, our kids are nuts. They're they're nuts. They run around the room, they scream. They, it's probably just like yeah. you guys are the 60 year old version of that. Yeah. And then you add beer to it after the game. And it's, uh, and you, you said, and I know this to be a fact, you were one of the bigger goofballs oh. in the locker room, right? Unbelievable. So there'd be times like, you know, when I was married or whatever, the guys would come back and I w- didn't act like that at home. When I went, it's something I went in the locker room. It's like the switch. It's your, it's your job. Yeah. Um, but I see, I was only married to the first one during my career. So when we ever tell a story, it's always the first. Okay. Right. Got it. It's always the first. Oh yeah. But I remember I'd go in the locker room and switch, seriously, the switch would go off and it was just a nonstop. And the guys would say like, you know, Tom, you're not always that funny. It's just that you don't ever stop. So the, and there's a video that the Kings did, the Kings PR staff, and it's on YouTube. And the, first off, the acting on your, is amazing. I mean, I don't know, are you Strasburg trained or what is it? Your message guy, obviously. Seriously. Oh, no, it's, I don't, they should give Oscars to old videos. If they did in retrospect, right. you should win that one. People can go watch it. I think it's called Laidlaw Prank or something. Practical jokes or something. Yeah, pranks are Go look it up. It's, you leave us some comments. Bob Borgen was the producer with, uh, shout out to Bob. Yeah, Bob Borgen. Great guy too. He always said to me, Tom, like, you should really get into like doing more TV stuff. And then we would say, ultimately, yeah, it's a rider. But you, I think you got McSorley on that one, maybe Robitaille yeah. in that. And, and uh, Goose, Gooselin, Gooselin, the, uh, the goalie. Key Gosselin? Key Gosselin. Yeah. They were good. Like Robitaille, I, so I got Robitaille as the uh, baby powder in the hairdryer. And he took it pretty good. Like he put it right into his face and uh, let it rip. See, that's how oh. the guys are in LA. It's production. They had me in the silhouette pretending. And I was like, you know, I didn't want to show who I was. No, the acting though is on point. I mean, it's 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 like it's De Niro esque. It's like seriously, right? John Wayne, Daniel Day Lewis. Right. Yeah, well, he was a great actor. He played one character his whole career. Yeah, was that true? One character. But like guys like me just love that character. Yeah, you just like, you, it's more about the mythology of that guy, that tough guy, that that yeah. cowboy than yeah. it is about the actual. Yeah, that's true. Then it was the same, maybe a few variances here and there, but it's basically the same thing. It's the same character. Yeah, not backing down. Every character. Tell the truth. It's what Marion uh, Morrison, right? Or that he wore a terrible wig. It was all fake. It was all you know, character. He, even his, it wasn't that big of a man. They had him on a small horse all the time. To make oh, really? he wasn't big. No, I didn't know that. Huge. I mean, they had him on a horse to make him look like his feet were almost touched the ground. It must have been a pony or something like that. Wow. Did I tell you what? I worked on the horse breeding farm in Guelph, Ontario. Uh, so you were collecting specimens from the horses? You probably, well, you, you had to be good at that. You had some skills, right? So it was, so they had a, a teaser pony. This little pony who they would put, so all the mares would be able to, like a fluffer pony. Well, hold on. So the, and uh, they'd all back their ass up to the fence where the ponies was. <laughs> and then, uh, if the pony would then 
they decide whether the mares are ready to breed or not. But this poor pony, they'd have him go the whole breeding season without having any. Oh, so he's ready to go. So his, yeah, he had the little powder bags hanging all the way down the ground. Yeah, oh, wow. And then they put him up on a bale A and they'd get him an old mare, a working mare. Like Jesus. What a, what a life you guys led up there. Do you, now you guys had to collect samples to impregnate some of the Yeah, there's no, the, come in and do that. No, come on. You helped. All, no way. Because he put this long plastic glove on. Like he's rolled to his shoulder and he just stick his whole hand right in there. But, wow. There you go. That's a, that's Canadian life for you. Oh, that's, God, that's funny. And you know what? People would come like they'd bring their families to watch their, their horse get impregnated. So they, all the family grandparents are sitting there watching. Wow. Oh, God. And this is where, that's where I was working when I got drafted. Uh, it was coming in the shit out of the stall. Right. No one's ever heard that story. No, so you should probably tell that again for the night. No, you know what? I kind of keep it a secret. Yeah, you don't, don't, don't let that one sleep out. But then you got drafted. Yeah. You get to the Rangers. Yep. You got a couple of favorite players. Right? I know you like Daryl Sidler. I think you said you like Dave Keon too, right? Well, I went to his hockey school when I was a kid. Yeah. So, yeah. so I, I, as a Rangers fan, I my first favorite player was was our next guest. Um, then it was Mark Pavlich and then probably Brian Leach. But I loved, when I was looking, I loved our next guest, Donnie Burdock. He was unbelievable. You know, he obviously had his troubles, and he's all cleaned up from that now. He's great. Good to see him doing well. Uh, real proud man. He doesn't look back at those like good times. He said, but it's I can't do anything about it. It's the way it is. Yeah. But you know what? Every I didn't play with him, uh, but everybody that I ever talked to about him, despite all the party and all that kind of stuff, always said what a fantastic yeah. guy he was. Great team player and everything. Yeah, people are going to love this episode with with uh, murder, Doc, Donnie, and a lot of a lot of good Nick uh, that. Yeah, let's uh, let's well let's just enjoy the episode. Yeah, I love this one. <laughs> Leave us a comment, like, follow us, spit it around. Hey, Tom. So I'm really, really pumped about this one. We got, this is a guy we've wanted on for a long time. It's a, I'm a big fan of this guy. When I was at my first Ranger game as a kid, and I've told him this story too. My dad brought me down. There was this young player on crutches. He picked me up. He handed me a stick from one of the Flyers. It was a Moose DuPont stick. I still have it. He scored 32 goals his rookie year. We have Don Murdoch on the show. Finally, we chased him down all over the world. We'd have to follow him around to get him on the show. How you doing, Doc? <laughs> Good to see you again. Good. Thanks so much. Yeah. So we didn't play against yeah, each other. Yeah. We didn't play with each other, but uh, we got to know each other when I was in the agent business and uh, Doc was uh, scouting a lot too. Good man. Um, so where'd you grow up? Where's home for you? Uh, it's Cranbrook, British Columbia. I, I grew up here, hometown boy, played all my minor hockey here. And then uh, as that went on, I moved on to, you know, junior, of course. Yeah. Good. Where's Cranbrook, British Columbia is my hometown. Good. Where'd you play junior? I played junior. I went away at 15. I went and played in the BC Junior Hockey League in Vernon. Oh, wow. And I played there, and then I went from Vernon to Medicine Hat Taggers. Wow, 15 years old. I don't think people realize what that's like, right? You're a 15-year-old boy. Very often, like, you know, you're know, you living on the farm or whatever. You don't get out and really know the world at all. Then at 15 years old, you leave and go live with another family, right? That's It's not as easy as people think it would be. No, you know, I'll be honest there. You know, uh, it is tough. But the good thing is that you had teammates there, you know, guys that were there, you know, older guys, guys, not a lot that were my age. But like you say, to get yourself up, go to school, be a little more responsible at 15, not having mom and dad take care of you. It's a little tough. Uh, yeah. yeah, no kidding. Yeah, I, I got drafted by the Peter Pete's and went there. And so I was 16-year-old, I think, at that point. And I was probably close to being good enough to make the team, but I just wasn't. I just got off the farm. I wasn't ready to do it. So I hear people like yourself say 15. We had Terry Ryan on and left at 14 years old. So those kinds of things, like wow, that's pretty impressive stuff. I think so. I did. I mean, and Don yeah. got to uh, Don got to Medicine Hat was on a line with our friend Morris Lukowicz, and they lit it up in Medicine Hat. 
Oh, that's right. Morris. We had Morris on the show. He would not stop telling stories. At one point I had to cut him off there. He goes, no, no, Tommy, let me finish this story. <laughs> he was good. He was fine. Oh, I know. He's got the gift of the gab. Trust yeah. me. He calls me every once in a while and, and uh, it's never... It's never under a half hour, 45 minute conversation. And that's true. There's certain people that you're going to call you. Look at their number on the screen there. I think, oh, this is going to take a while. And I better be ready for this one. Oh, look at that. If I got to be somewhere, let it yeah. go to voicemail. <laughs> yeah. There you go. So, yeah. so I keep it short and sweet. Yeah. He, Tom always laughs all the time. And I talk for about five minutes and that's it. I'm done. If I four minutes tops. <laughs> so now we were always in yeah, the score. Yeah. That's you know, me cool. too. Yeah. Donnie, were you always a yes. big time goal scorer? Yes. Yeah. You know what? You know, yeah, growing up, you know, like I said, in, in Pee Wee's, Bantams and that, I, I, I was a goal scorer, but it really kind of took off when I went to the BC Junior League. It, when I was a 15-year-old, um, you know, I ended up scoring 34 goals, and I got Rookie of the Year there. And uh, and that's kind of where I got noticed a bit. And Medicine Hat was our farm team, and they came in and uh, – you know, that's where they kind of saw me there. Then the next year in, in Burnett, I had 50 goals. And then I went into Medicine Hat, where I I still hold the record for most goals by a rookie in the Western Canada Hockey League. Wow. And that's yeah, uh, 82. Not, 82 goals. Wow. Yeah, so, and, yeah, I don't know if I'll get broken before I before I die, but... <laughs> that's cool. And then he followed yeah. it up with and 88. And then had 88. Unbelievable. Wow. That's very yeah, cool. Yeah. And how many games would that be? That's back then was 72. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. Wow. 72 games. Yeah. So then do you get drafted by the Rangers? Yep. I was uh, drafted by the Rangers six overall. And uh, yeah, that was, you know, that was a big highlight, you know, because, you know, you, your draft year, you think you're going to certain certain rounds and stuff like that. And, uh, um, you know, you're kind of nervous. And back then they didn't have you come into the draft. The, the year I got drafted, they did it. They tried to do it by phone or by, you know, just tell call it in. Sure. So a story, I was uh, I was down in Phoenix with a friend of mine. He played for the Phoenix Roadrunners, uh, Barry Dean. And uh, so I'm down there, you know, golfing and partying with the guys. And, uh, you know, my agent tells me, I don't know where we're going, but you don't know until it happens. Sure. And all of a sudden I got a phone call from my brother, Bobby, Saying that, hey, uh, they're trying to get a hold of you. Congratulations, you got drafted by the Rangers in the second round. He says, "We're happy for you." And I kind of didn't say anything. I go, "What the hell, second round?" And Bobby says, "Yeah, my brother just played it right out, you know, the idiot." But so I said, "He says, well, how come you're not happy?" I said, "Well, I thought I was going in the first round, and then finally he couldn't hold it back. He said, no, no, you went the first round.' He said, six overall, and John Ferguson's going to call you.' So yeah." So what was your draft year then? With like 76? Is that your draft year? 76, 77, yep. Okay. Yeah, I was 19, turning 20 as I got there, yeah. So I got to ask you, who went before you in the draft? Had, Can you remember? Uh, there was uh, Larry Chapman. There was, uh, 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 what's his name? Green was number Rick one Green. overall. Defenseman, I can't remember his person. Sure, Rick yeah, Green Rick. and then Blair Chapman, Dill, uh there was Dale McCourt. Nope, he was after um, Glenn. Bernie Fertrickle went that year. Harold Phillips, yeah. all those guys. Yeah. To be honest, Tommy, he's going to California because my brother Bobby played for the California Golden Seals, and they picked fifth. Uh, yeah, and they took, uh, they took uh, Swedish defenseman Johansson, but that's where I thought I was going because my brother was there. 
And uh, I, I right after that pick, they were fifth. I went sixth to the Rangers. Yeah. I heard your brother say that he's a better player than you were. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's in the background yelling yeah. much better. Yeah, they, he we'll, was the, we'll, get, we'll get him I off. was a goal scorer, but he was the highly skilled guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Cool. Well, it was good having an older brother because, you know, he played so well that I just wanted to, uh, you know, I wanted to follow in his footsteps. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. All right, so you get to New York. Uh, we won't dwell on this. We talked about this before the show. So uh, you get yourself, and I mean, what didn't happen right away, but everybody's, everybody's partying back then too. In fact, like you tell stories. About how the all the beer, all the places, beer in the locker rooms, beer on the plane, beer on the bus. Uh, so you get to New York, and it's a little bit of uh, people. Again, it's so much different now. Like these guys are in such good shape, take care of themselves more. But part of the culture of playing in the National Hockey was out drinking beer with the boys, right? Yeah. Oh, uh, well, like you said back then, just just what you said. I mean, uh, right after practice, everybody went for lunch, had a couple of beers. I mean, they could say play beer on the planes, beer on the buses. You know what it's like. Now, Tommy, you know, I've been on charters when I was the uh, director of hockey ops in Tampa Bay. Cripes, uh, it's milk and Gatorade on the plane. I know. <laughs> I know. But like we said, the culture back then was everybody going for a couple of beers. You know, it's, uh, you're on the road, go have a couple of beers the night before, after yep. have a couple of beers, you know? Yeah. It was, it was almost like if you didn't do it, it was like, what's wrong with you? Like, if you're not part of the team, if you're not out drinking beer with the guys. We other we were uh, Kelly Miller and Mike Ridley came with the Rangers. Great guys, really hardworking players, good team players. So I tell the story. I'm not probably derogatory to this, but we were out in the city up at Ornareskis. Remember up in the uh, Upper East Side there, and uh, we're all. Oh yeah, I remember Ornareskis. Been there many times. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So we uh, we were having a few beers after the game, and they they ordered a glass of milk, and we were legitimately mad at them. Like we were yelling, like, "What the <laughs> f were you guys doing to order milk? This is it's embarrassing." Oh yeah. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Oh, but let's not, let's talk about that rookie year because Dot with 32 goals, which was a Ranger record in 59 games before he got hurt. And you were on pace for 50 that year for sure. Yeah. 
Well, like I said, well, I mean, I never thought I'd have the start I did. I mean, my, you know, my first three games in the NHL, I had eight goals. I, I tied the NHL. I still got the record for most goals by a rookie in one game, uh, five goals. You know, I, I'm tied with Howie Meeker. So my first three games in the NHL, um, and it's still a record, uh, I had eight goals in my first three games. I'm like, wow, what's going on here? Yeah. That's a season high for Tom Laidlaw, by the way. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, the other thing is, you know, things took off. You know, I had 16 goals in 16 games. And next thing you know, I got, you know, uh, Times Magazine talking to you, you know, People Magazine doing stuff on you because you started off in living in New York. I mean, that wouldn't happen if you're in Atlanta. But, you know, things just kind of skyrocketed. And then I made the All-Star game, you know, all in one year. So it was quite a, you know, it was quite a, you know, overpowering first year. Crazy, you know. Yep, 20 years old, too. That's that's just so much coming at you. Yeah, yeah, like you said, it, it, it was outstanding. You know, my, in, in the, in the All-Star game was in Vancouver, which was great because all my family come down because I'm, you know, living in British Columbia and stuff. So, yeah, it was quite, uh, you know, it is quite quite a quick start. You know, you, you never, I never expected it to go like that. I mean, you know. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. I mean, I was going to ask you, obviously you didn't, you can't expect for that to happen. What's going through your head though? Where you're saying like, wow, am I really that good? Or is the NHL really, is it that good of a league? Or what were you thinking to yourself when that was going on? Well, obviously you never, I never, you know, I, you know, when you're 19 years old, all you want to do is make the team. You know, when I go up there and I, and I got lucky because, you know, things were just going in and it was like, you know, it's like Tommy, you know, when you first play in a building, it's like, holy cripes, you know, now I'm, I'm standing in uh, not only Madison Square Garden, I mean Toronto Maple Leaf Gardens, you know, the yeah. original six where I used to eat hamburgers on Saturday in the living room watching Hockey Night in Canada. Sure, yeah. But, you know, like to get that start, like, I mean, did I think I would start it like that? Like, no, I mean, holy Christ, you know, you you're just want to make the team. And it was like everything I was shooting was going in. Like, like even that, the not to jump around, but on that game I scored five goals. Um, I didn't have one in the first period and I had three in the second and then I scored one in the fourth. And I remember there was, there was like, uh, 12 seconds left in the period. We're up like nine, five or something. And, uh, I'm on the bench and Phyllis Mazzino comes to the bench and says, Hey, Ferdy says, put the rookie out. Let's get him another one. Let's get him the record. And the faceoff was in Minnesota's end. And um, I remember Phyllis Rizzito said, okay, kid, you stand right here. He said, even if I lose the face-off, don't move. I'll get you the puck. And I think there's only 10, 11 seconds left. And I'm sitting there, and Phil did kind of lose the face-off, and then he got it, slid it back to me. I rifled it and went right over the goalie's uh, thing into the net for the fifth goal, yeah. That's that's Phil, too, right? That's Phil, <laughs> too, right? Like, total confidence in himself. Yeah, that's yeah. the way he still like that today. If he says he's going to do something, he's going to do it, right? That's Phil. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. Absolutely. So, yeah. It was a, it was, yeah, I mean, what an honor to get to play with them. Yeah. Yeah. So you were here with, and the team was at 79 when you went to the finals, right? Yeah. I was there. Yep. Yep. I, that, that's when I, I, you know, they, I just got back from my suspension and, and, uh, we, I think my first game, I remember my first game in Atlanta when I came back and I sat out, I got a hat trick in that game. But, you know, it was weird because Freddie Sherrill was there. was all new people. Freddie Sherrill came in, Mike Nicolette. We made a bunch of trades. So it was a different team from the start for me. And uh, like I said, come in and, and that was a team that we had. 
Well, I think, you, you know, uh, you know, I think we ended up 14th. That's where you went one and 16, two and 15, yeah. three and 14. Yeah. And we played LA and things just took off. John Davidson stood on his head. I mean, JD goal was, was absolutely phenomenal too. But, uh, you know, that's where we, you know, and then they put me and Phil and, and Don Maloney together and uh, we just took off. I mean, I think Don Maloney and Phil and I were in the top five, six scoring in the whole playoffs. Yeah. Unfortunately, we lost, but it was quite a run. And that's where they came up with the, the Godfather line. The oh, Phil, right. I forgot about that. Guns. Yeah. 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 Yes, I forgot about that. That's cool. Yeah, very cool. Talk about the suspension a little bit for me. What happened there? Well, like I said, that yeah, like I mean, that was that was a tough thing to do. You know, I had to meet in front of the in front of the, them. I didn't know what was going to happen, and not like I said, not to do a lot. But there was a lot of times that I was I was going to quit hockey. Like I I said to John Ferguson, and you know, uh, you know what I put my family through and everything. Like I, it was just too much for me. And I said, you know what, I'm just uh, I'm going to pack it in, and I'm not going to play anymore. And then my agent called me. John Ferguson said, No, you ain't quitting. And you know, he's kind of flew out and said, you know, because I had press all over me and stuff. I was just, you know, my head wasn't into it. And to come back, it was, it was tough, you know, because the first year I, I got, you know, I came back because they, you know, you're innocent till proven guilty. And and um, there's a whole story to what happened there. You know, I didn't even know it was in my luggage. And I'm not going to harp on that, but it's, you know, it's I put myself in a bad situation. But, you know, uh, the suspension, I could have been a year and, and uh you know, I had to meet in front of them, and it was half a year. And uh, the only thing is, I needed my shoulder operated on, so I got that done, and and uh, I just uh, tried to get back to where it was. You know, but uh, it, it was a you know, obviously, it was a tough year. Until this day, Tom, and there's not a day that I don't reflect on where would my career went if I didn't do that. But you know, it's still saying I you can't live in the past, but it beat me up for a lot of years when I was playing and, and after I played. But you know, after a while, you come content with it. But uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's you know, like every it's not just me, it's what I put my family through, you know, my teammates, my friends, you know. And uh, like I said, it's uh, it, it was it was a tough, it was a horrendous time in my life, you know. When, like I, I mentioned to you earlier, um. You know, to have all that and to live with that, you know, I didn't want to go out in public. I didn't want to be seen. I just kind of hibernated. That's not a good for your. That's not good for your soul either. All I did was try to get back, train, and you know. And I, I as a matter of fact, I, I trained in Niagara Falls with the junior team. I went to live with my agent Frank Mill at St. Catherine. But yeah, it was it was a tough time. You don't know how the fans are going to treat you when you come back. You don't know what your teammates are going to do. And uh, yeah. And like I said, uh, it was a lot for a 20-year-old kid, and I didn't have anybody helping me. I had to handle it all on my own. I couldn't. He didn't reach out for help back, you know. Yeah. See, that's the thing. I don't. Anyways, think yeah. Told, and that's the thing I don't think uh, people fully understand too. And no disrespect to the NHL, I think we're all proud to have played in the NHL. Uh, but today, the, the players now have all these resources available to us. So if they've got any problems at all, they can either they they have to get help or they can ask for help. Uh, and again, this is not, you're not blaming anybody else at all. You know, like it, you talked about it, you take full responsibility for what happened. But back then, I mean, the culture was so different. Like you didn't, you never reached out. Like if you had a problem, especially a mental problem, you never reached out to anybody. You, you'd be done. Yeah. That was, that was the theory was that you were going to be done. Uh, alcohol was at the ready. Uh, there was beer in the locker room, beer in the planes, beer on the bus. That was part of the culture of playing in the National Hockey League. So for you going through the stuff you were going through, 
just, I mean, at your age and experience, there's just nothing. You look back at it, you look, so well, geez, I like do things differently, but how could you do something? You had no help. You had nobody to talk to. So you had an owner, Sonny Werbel, who wanted you guys on page six. He wanted you out at the clubs. He wanted you guys to be known. So that doesn't help you know, what you're going through at the time either. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, that's exactly what, yeah, exactly what they wanted. But like I say, for me, you know, going through it, I didn't know any better, but, you know, there was days that I was, you know, I played a bad game, people yelled, and I'd come home, I'd sulk. Well, what would you do? I'd grab a bottle. You know, that make the pain go away. You know, you drank. That was my, uh, and, you know, antidepressant was, you know, uh, and a lot of people did it. You know, you had problems, you drank, make it go away. I don't like this pain. I don't like this feeling. Make it go away. Sometimes I just sat at home and I drank. So what finally changed? Well, well, like I said, it it didn't change for a while, not during my career, because, you know, I went here and and if I had a bad couple games or something like that, you know, uh, while he's not there, it's there. Like, you know, I I think things changed once I was out of hockey, you know, uh, uh, you know, just started, you know, you you go contend. It took a long time. Like, I mean, like I said, to this day, I still always wonder where I'm at, but, you know, life goes on and, and I was lucky enough to, Phil Esposito to get me back into scouting and back into hockey. I think that was huge to stay in the scouting for a while and stuff like that. And I got into do some coaching and, and like I said, uh, you know, my brother Bobby was always there for me. You know, my family was always there, but you know, and I put him through hell, you know, I mean, there's another guy that played in the NHL and, uh, you know, his brother's there. So he got, you know, he took some flack for me too, but, you know, it, it's it's surround just try to surround yourself with good people and and like I said, I indebted to Phyllis Rosito for uh, calling me up and and offering me a job in New York. And then when we were done there, he, you know, he called. I was one of the first guys he called for Tampa Bay. Yeah. So well, you know the thing, Doc, about you yeah, too is that everybody everybody I talk to that knows you, they don't talk about the the past as much. They talk about a great guy you are too, and I think that's probably helped you a lot. That want, they want to help that, yeah. that's true I mean and it's not always like yeah. that with everybody like, like sometimes it, well no like I said it's it, it, you know like a lot of friends Danny Gare a lot of the guys were there for me you know a lot of Grash and I are still close you know but like I said it's uh, you know back then you know you, you just I couldn't even reach out to those guys yeah. I was almost at the point where I, you know do they want to be seen with me yeah. you know you know, they did, but, you know, you know, the associate with them, I, I hibernated. But again, like when things change is, you know, as you get older and, and things are, you know, things started going good in my life and that's, you kind of let it go. And, and thank God, like I said, I got to stay in hockey as long as I did. Now, how many years did you play in the NHL? I think I played, uh, including NHL, I think I was like six and a half. Yeah, like I was... Uh, 400 games with playoffs. I think it was 372 uh, things not not long. Like I said, it's, uh, you know, like I said, that's to this day, you know, you wonder where you'd be, you know, and if I never got injured, you know, that rookie year, you know, that's where things kind of took a turn. I'm out the rest of the year. The team's traveling. I'm sitting in New York by myself, going to the bars, you know, what else do you do? I've got a big cast on my leg. I'm out, you know, three months. On my ankle, I mean, but um, yeah, it's uh, that's kind of where things kind of went on a walk because you know the guys are gone eight nine days on the road, so I go hang out with at the bar, run into other people and stuff like that. But yeah, it's uh, 
Yeah. I mean, you've got that fun personality too, right? So everybody wants to hang out with Doc, you know, have a drink with Doc. You know, he's a fun guy. And uh, I still notice that now. I've realized that oh, yeah. the stuff I'm doing now where I, I enjoy, I love having my cocktail now, but I, I don't ever drink in public because I've seen where, you know, I said, no, it's false. It's like, oh, yeah. But yeah, they want to be seen with a guy like Don Murdoch or Ron Grester or something like that, having, having a cocktail and having fun. But they don't, yeah, they don't know well, the, the things inside of you. Well, Tommy, there's, you know, the places, you know, in New York, you know, I we go to these places and stuff like that. And I, you'd be sitting there and holy cripes, you know, the owners would tell the bartender if his drink ever goes low, you know, we don't want him to leave. Like, you know what it's like? They want to keep it. Like, you know, it's like, Christ, I didn't even order these drinks. I've got three in front of me. But that's what I know bartenders who got fired because they, you know, I if I finish my drink or your beer, we would walk out. But they would just had it there and everybody's there. Like I said, yeah, they wanted you in your establishment. Yeah. And I'm, is it? like you say, I've got that personality. I like being around people. I have gifted the gab is everything. And like you said, before you know it, you look down, now it's 3 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Like I better get my ass home. Yeah. Is it funny too? Because back then, I don't know who you were, but I thought, oh, everybody, also, everybody thinks I'm a great guy, right? They didn't, they didn't love me. You they wanted, think that. They wanted me there. Yeah. Me as much, but they wanted us. Funny yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, they wanted you in their yeah, no. We, these guys had carte blanche in Studio Fifty Four. They could just walk in any anytime they wanted to. Oh yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, Orton Rescue. So it was on Third Avenue. If anybody remember, Third and Eighty Third or something like that. And my first time, my parents came to town. They were old farm people, right? And I've been in town for a couple of months now. And uh, I had a jeep there in the back. My poor mother's in the back seat, bounced all over the place. Pull up to Orton Rescue. There's no parking, <laughs> no parking spots around. Just park like double park on Third Avenue. Walk to the door, give the keys to the doorman. My mother's going, You parked in the middle of the street, you idiot. I swear to the permit. I mean, that's, you know, it is funny thinking of those stories, but especially come where we came from to now all of a sudden the things we're doing in the city is like, What we're in a dream? Oh, absolutely. So you're a kid from BC and now you're in Studio Hall with Mick Jagger and Cher. Like, how does that even compute in your brain? Yeah. Well, I think I was telling Tom, uh, your producer there earlier, that, um, where I lived down, uh, I think I lived on 71st and 1st, but um, the the Mark was the doorman. The head guy at Studio 54 lived in my building, and he was a big ranger guy, so I used to give him tickets all the time, oh. free. And, you know, you know, in Studio 4, it's like, Tom, you'd go down there, there'd be 1,500 people in line, and I could just walk up and, hey, Don, you're in. So <laughs> I used to bring, I was telling Tom, I remember sometimes I'd be skating in warm-up, and guys like uh, Randy Carlisle from Pittsburgh and Shutter and those guys saying, "Hey Doc, can you get us in the studio?" <laughs> you know, I, 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 guys that I'm playing against that say, "Could you meet us there?" Because you know, Tom, it didn't even open till midnight. Uh, so like, I used to run down there, get them in. I wouldn't go with them, but I'd run down there. Can you let these guys in? But I did that half dozen times all the time. But uh, yeah, it was uh, quite the show. Funny story. So when the game ends for you, did you get into scouting right away? Um, probably not long after it, because I, I, yeah, I was pretty well. I think it was the next year that uh, Aspo took over. So I think Aspo took over. Yeah, I would have got. I think it was out a year, right? And then Phil got into it, and he called me once he took over. He said, "I need," because I was living in Detroit. I married a girl from. Detroit, and I was living in Detroit, and he called me, said, Doc, I need a scout to do the Ontario and um, uh, the colleges there. Sure. So, uh, yeah, and that's what I did. I think I was only, as a matter of fact, he, I don't know when he got hired, but he hired me, and 
I finished the year as a part-time. The next year he put me on full-time and then unfortunately Phil got let go. And, um, uh, he's, you know, Tampa Bay, like I was telling you, Tampa Bay, he took Tampa Bay over and that was one of the guys he called. He said, well, I'll start putting together scouting staff. We got the, we got the lightning, you know, or Tampa Bay. So, oh, yeah. Very cool. Yeah, it was nice. Yeah. Well, like I said, I got it to Phil. He, yeah, he was, he's been tyrannous to me until this day. We still talk and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. He, he was great to me too. He also was the guy that treated me to Los Angeles. We had him on the show one time with uh, Gresh, Stable, and and Dubs, I think. And uh, we were, I've told the story many times, but I, Phil, Phil said to me, he says, uh, can we swear on the show? And I said, well, Phil, you can drop a couple F-bombs here and there. He must have dropped about 200 F-bombs, just nonstop. It just, uh, this Phil didn't care. He was going to say what he wanted to say. Oh, we got it. We got into talking about all the trades he made. And he said, well, the guys I, I didn't like, I traded as far away as possible. Now, I'm on the show with him. He traded me to LA. There's no place far to in LA. <laughs> And I said, Phil, I thought we were buddies. Like, you tried to Yeah. This dude, we meet a lot of people in the hockey world, right, that are, uh, like, good, loyal people. Like, you watch, like, Bobby Orr, how he takes care of Derek Sanderson all the time, like, people that helped you all the time. The hockey world's a good world that way. I like that. Yeah. So, now, are you still scouting now? Yeah, it is good for that. Like I said, in retired now. I, oh. uh, back in Cranbrook. Yep, I'm back in Cranbrook. I've been retired for a couple of years. I ended up working for my brother had a, a big distributing company called Saputo. So when I come back, I worked for him. I finished, I don't know when it was. And then I went and worked for him for about four or five years. And then two years ago, I retired. And I, I've got my hockey schools here. So I do that in the summer. But uh, yeah, now I'm just officially retired, Tom. Oh, yeah. Very cool. You're retired, man. How old are you now, then? About 67? Lots of golf and lots of pickleball. Pickleball, that's the big thing. I'll be I have 67 played- in October. Okay. Yeah. I haven't played pickleball yet. Everybody's telling me about pickleball. Well, I'm a big pickleball guy. Oh, okay. Okay. So you're still a big yeah, shape then? I mean, I love the game. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, I figure. Yeah, I'm in pretty good shape. You know, there was, there was a time about five, six years ago, I was kind of helping take care of my mom. And uh, I came home and, and uh, kind of let myself go. I go way up there. Like, oh. I think I was like 210 pounds. And uh, after my mom passed away, I just kind of looked in the mirror and I said, it's time to, I got back in the gym. Now I'm uh, ride the bike five, six days a week, work out, nice. and I'm down to like 185 now. So I'm happy. Yeah. Good job. Good job. That's yeah. important. And it's not easy. Like I watch your, you know, I, I see your, you know, I work out like, I mean, it's, I have a good workout. I see your stuff on Facebook, how you work on stuff. But like I said, uh, a lot of people might just don't want to go to the gym. They don't care what they eat anymore, but. I try to, you know, try to stay maintained anyways. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't use it, you'll, you'll, if you don't use it, you'll lose it. Right. So totally agree. Well, yeah, Doc, right. listen, yeah, it's, absolutely. it's, yeah. been, it's been fantastic having you on the show. Uh, we had to, we chased it out for what, two years. We had to chase it yeah, for, we're, we're not on for a while. We had, okay. to rope, we had to rope, lasso him, get him on the show. Yeah. Uh, seriously, Doc. And I really meant it when I said it before there, again, you and I didn't play with each other. We didn't know each other that well, but all the people I've ever talked to about you, just said fantastic uh, things about you, your personality, what a great guy you were, and always giving and everything. So it was a real pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks so much, Tommy. And again, I'm sorry we didn't get sooner, and uh, hope it was good enough for you guys, oh, and uh, all the best to you, okay? Yeah, Donnie, yeah, Donnie, thank you for the moves to Pond State. Take That's care. Still okay, no worries, buddy. All right, well, we finally got Doc Murder, <laughs> Don Murdoch. Tom, that was a huge for me because, like I said, my first experience at a Ranger game, 
I, he, I met him. He gave me a stick. And my dad still talks about it to this day. I don't really remember it, but my father said it's a cherished memory for him. So it was super cool to have him on. And I told him on the show too, and it was the truth that uh, I, we did not play with each other. I got to know him more when I was in the agent business, him scouting. Uh, but everybody I ever talked to, even during the struggles he had with the drugs and alcohol and suspense and all that, people would tell stories, but more, it was more like what a great guy he was. Yeah. You know? And, and I, I think that's really something. You know, he's, he, yeah, he's very honest about everything in the show here. talks about, we didn't go into great detail about some of the stuff that happened. But he didn't try to hide from anything or blame somebody else. Uh, no, and, and you know, I, producing the show, I, I get to talk to a lot of these guys off there. Obviously, we, we set things up, and he's one of the he's been one of the kindest, nicest yeah. guys I've dealt with. I've spoken to him a lot, and he's been great. Yeah, so you can see he's a good guy. He's funny. So Tom here, our producer, uh, his job is or one of his main jobs is to call the players up and try to get them on the show. And you hounded him. Yeah, and he finally he left. I called one time. Left. He left a message going, "Man, you guys are persistent." <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Tommy, I'll, I'll do it. I'm good. Hard work gets the, you know, gets the results. You know that, Tom. That's your whole career. Yeah, totally. Yes, that's true. It is funny. You look back at the career and have these conversations, and I, and I realized I actually watched an old Islander Ranger game, and I, I just more, I guess I really didn't pay attention to how I was perceived before sure. as an athlete, and I realized, man, I really wasn't that good, but and I just, I was always there. I always showed up all the time. Well, that's your whole MO, and that's, we've talked about this many, many times. You showed up, you were reliable, you were dependable, you yeah. did your job. That's exactly why, you you know, it's, it's and the, the, a lot of the players make fun of you. They call you coach's pet, yeah. coach's pet, but you're coach's dream because yeah. you show up and you do your job, and that's why, that's why they like you. You know, they don't have to get on the phone with you because you have a four-minute lifespan on a phone call, but otherwise, <laughs> you know, you show up, you do your work. Oh, it's so funny. I, I remember back, we had, we had one of these playoff games like 83 or 84 against the Islanders. Remember after the game, Dave Maloney didn't dress for the game, hurt or something. And uh, he came to me after the game. He goes, man, you were all world tonight. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, I just never saw myself that way. Yeah. But I guess during the game, Phil Esposito was doing the color commentating. And he was going on. Uh, Tommy is so inconsistent. It's unbelievable. Like, there's everybody else. But then there's Tom. And he just is the same. I, 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 I honestly, God, I just, I, that's always the way I was. So it's just uh, always went that way. But, uh, yeah, we, you know, we, we, and I, we've talked about this several times. As you know, I'm a national champion roller hockey player. But the year we won. One of our best players was a defenseman who had, I don't think he had a goal or an assist the whole tournament, right. but he was awesome. He was dependable. Kip Rano, shout out to Kip. He was awesome. He shut everyone down. And he just gave everything. Kind of like what you did. Like, yeah, it's funny, right? You look back. And for me, it was just, it's just the way it was. I, I just where I thank my father and grandfather so much because that's what I grew up with on the farm. Yeah. And I didn't realize that until, you know, writing a book and doing all this true good life stuff that that's, I look back at any success I ever had, or even the failures that I had, how I recovered from failures. Which is short. Super important. And think, think about back to Don. Like now he's this kid from BC. He gets thrown in the middle of Manhattan in the swinging 70s when everything is crazy. Late 70s. He's at Studio 54. He's got all his success and people are handing him things and he's 20 years old. How do you deal with that? How do you have the mentality to accept that? It was interesting him talking about how uh, the bartenders were ordered at these places to make sure that the players drink was full because they wanted those players in the uh, establishment so other people would come. Sure. And yeah, so you think about Think of the scenario as you're right. He's 20 years old from a small town in Western Canada. He totally inexperienced. Hadn't lived in a big city before. Right. Now he's in the biggest city in the biggest stage, having all the success score and all these goals. There's beer everywhere. Yep. And, and again, I'm not blaming anybody else because I went through it myself. I'm not blaming the teams. That was, that was a fun yep. thing, like hanging out, having beers with your buddies. Uh, but beer, like beer on the plane, beer on the bus, beer in the locker room. And, uh, you know, and, and again, if you did ever have a particular a mental health issue, right. Uh, to go to somebody else, you're finished. You're finished. Totally, you, you wouldn't do it. Even your best friends, you just couldn't. Right. Do it. You were thought of as weak. And yeah. You, but now, if he said, "Hey guys, this is a lot for me. I need, I need some help with this." Right. 
he would get all the help he needs. Yeah. He'd be, he'd be get, have a mental health coach. He'd probably yeah. to get him into some yoga and some, some mind, you know, mind or matter stuff. And he'd be, he'd be great. Right. And I think there's less of a stigma too. Like the, the part that really bothered, would have bothered us is the after the effects. So if you now, people are looking at you differently that you've got some kind of a problem, uh, because if you're drugs, or alcohol, mental health, depression, whatever it is now, I think people say, okay, well, he had a mental health issue. He's worked on it. Yeah. He's better. It's just like having a yeah, yeah. broken leg. You said that several times. I think, you know, the world's changed. We're not in that, I know you're right, but we're not in that John Wayne, Gary Cooper world anymore. And the Sopranos, if you remember the Sopranos, they were big on this. When he got help for his mental issues, they were like, he thought he was a, a, a lesser or, or a failure. But it's so important now that like mental health is important. It's yeah. like you said, you break your leg, you fix it. Yeah. Your brain's a little bit broken. You got to fix it. That's not, you know, life is hard. Yep. So get help. Well, listening, please get help if you do. Oh, yeah. totally. And that's why Don's like, again, he doesn't want to dwell on details, Donnie Murdoch, but he wants people to learn to say, listen, I had a terrible problem. Yep. I'm fixed now. I'm a whole different person or I'm the same person. I just solved the issue yep. that I have. And I think that's for people like that has gone through it, especially a former athlete that was people loved. I think it's really important for him to be able to talk about it. And he did. And, and yes. Yeah. And in the interview, he said, he said, people didn't realize what was going on inside of his head. Yeah. So obviously he was dealing with something again fame, pressure, the, you know, the drugs, the beer, the notoriety. And it's like, it's, it's a lot for anyone to handle, especially a young kid. I know. I look back at my first year in the NHL, like a part of it is too, like it takes a really strong, and I, I kind of look back and this is one thing I mean, wish I could have changed a little bit, but you're, you're so impressionable, right? Like you're, you're in the NHL. So you're looking at other guys that are already in the NHL and go, wow, first of all, I'm playing with Phil Zeno for sure. God's sakes. Uh, and then, you know, they're all out drinking beer and everything. And again, it's no excuse. You're, you're your own man. You're, although you're young, you're a grown man, you make your own decisions, but, uh, to, you want to fit in, right. In, in all ways. Sure. Uh, and that's part of it too. So the guys are all out drinking beer. And again, it was as part of the culture, like, listen, you're almost required. Listen, if everybody else is out drinking beer, yeah, you yeah. better be there with your teammates. It may sound a little barbaric right now. And again, it's certainly no excuse because we're all grown men. We can make our own decisions, sure. but, uh, that's. That, but who who was some of the guys that uh, took you under their wig, or at least like kind of taught you how to be a pro? Who were in those early years? Well, Kirill Vadney was one of the biggest ones, and, and and that's a great great question for you because he, although he was with the team all the time, like he was a team guy, but he wasn't a big drinker. He would sit and drink his wine or whatever. But it was more yeah, he, I, I I didn't realize how lucky I was when he was helping me because he didn't have to help me. He was I was one of the guys coming to taking his job basically, although his career was winding down. But he went above and beyond. Like it was the way he spoke to me. You could tell that like he really believed that I could be something special and he wanted me. I've told the story too. We're in Winnipeg and we're scored on all the time. Every time we had the ice and stepped on the ice, they scored a goal. Vad had been coaching some other player, didn't see the goal because he trusted me so much. He says, Tommy, what happened on that play? And I was mad. I wasn't mad at him. I was just mad that we get scored on all the time. I said, So the puck went in the effing net. And I snapped at him. Oh, salt. Oh, God. I felt so bad. Like the look on his face, as soon as the words came out of my mouth, I realized how much that hurt him because yeah. of the relationship we had. I went to him after the game apologize and he was in tears because uh, really? he yeah he because you know what it all made sense too he was so good to me uh and you know I, I i probably didn't thank him enough yeah uh but then for me to snap out in that way was just totally uncalled for and i think he understood it but still like for for me to do that to him after all he'd done from sure. there so that was uh yeah he's a good man uh, so he was good uh dave maloney was good uh, go back to fat so you yeah. apologize at night but then how did your relationship go after that oh fine we that's that's it with the hockey world like guys would get fights on the ice and stuff like that and in some ways you respect the guy more you know? but at that time you really stung him though oh big time i i could tell when the words came out of my mouth the look on his face was just like, like he didn't say the words was kind of like tom i'm helping you with your yeah. career above and beyond helping you right you snap at me like that again the words weren't there but it was just probably like 
whiny bitch. Oh yeah. Uh, and I wasn't, again, that's the thing. He, I think part of the reason he liked me so much is that, that showing up all the time and doing right. my job and being the tough mental and physical guy and everything. So yeah, to do that to him was, but it, yeah, he got over it. And then you said Dave Maloney, who was just a couple of years older than you. Yep, definitely. Hey, hey, but again, he was that young leader. Uh, I've got so much respect for Dave, uh, both on and off the ice. Probably even more, and I hope this goes the right way, probably even more so off the ice. Sure. Uh, he, he was one of the first guys that I saw that really prepared himself for after the game. Uh, working on Wall Street during the summers and everything. Um, a very professional guy when he spoke. Yeah, I saw an interview the other day, and he was, uh, even at a young age, he was very professional. Um, and just... The way he carried himself was he, like he was a pro, right? Yep. Again, he was a great team player with their, like same as Vad, always together with the team guys. If there's a team function, Dave was there, but uh, just a good leader. Yeah, good leader as a person, a good leader too. Like even now, when you watch him on uh, TV and everything, and the career he had on Wall Street, just this. Well, you can hear his incredible story on the earlier episode yeah, of this podcast, Full right. Change Podcast, available on all podcast platforms. I'm trying to think of who else was a big influence. JD was a big influence. There's a lot of, a lot of guys like the Eddie Johnstone. But you guys were afraid of JD though. You don't want to let him down, right? Oh, absolutely. You know, he was the kind of guy, he was the kind of guy where you walk into a bar someplace, there'd be a crowd of people around. JD had this ring on, I bet it his wedding ring or whatever, and he'd drink the rum of Cokes or whatever. He's kind of clanking the, the ring and they, there's JD tells stories. Yeah, yeah. He'd get 20 people around, just local people from the bar, and uh, he's telling stories. I'm loving it. Fun guy. Oh, yeah. So, and he was one of the biggest guys back then too, yeah, right? Big man. Uh, yeah, I'll never, I will never forget the look in his face, the eyes glaring through the mask when I shot the puck off his leg. And for any of our listeners who haven't heard that story before, that was Tom's first goal in the NHL, an own goal. Oh God, the look at that was one of the most hurtful things about it because you want to please right. JD. JD was that was eighty eighty one. They'd gone to the finals of seventy nine. JD was a huge star. Uh, he had huge personality, and uh, to have him look at you that way when you're rookie in the NHL first game, you're like, it's my first game, and this guy hates me. Oh God. Hey, Here we go. You dream your whole life of getting in the NHL. You know, you have a great training camp, still with the club and everything. Right. And I uh, got to play well for GD. Got to play well for GD. So it didn't go well. Go out next game, sucker Robert Picard. <laughs> and then all is good. All is good. There's the league. Yeah. That's true. We were talking about learn, learning lessons. And so, <laughs> what was that lesson? But yeah. Well, I learned my lessons that I just keep doing stupid things, just go harder after, you know. And, uh, like, like when you put that car in the ditch and you. Oh, yes. You were talking about that before the show. That's yeah. right. So uh, it was my father had a really nice, my parents had this really nice Nova. Remember when Nova was a nice Chevy Nova? Yeah. Uh, so it was 1976. I was going off to college for the first time. Actually, the next day I was leaving to go to college. And so I was out, I had a couple of beers. I knew I could not get drunk. I was driving my father's car and leaving the next day. Uh, so I come home and we lived on the ground. This is the night before you leave for college. Yeah. First year. Yeah. So I'm saying goodbye to all my buddies and uh, we're, I had a gravel road that we lived on and sometimes they would re-gravel the road so it's a little looser. So I'm coming home. Uh, I didn't really think I was going too fast or anything, but obviously I lost control in the gravel, spun the car around into the ditch, just missed the telephone pole. Wow. So now it's like midnight. I've got to go home and wake my parents up and tell them that I've uh, put the car in the ditch. So of course, the first question I asked is, have you been drinking? And then I, I said, yeah, I had a couple of bit. Yeah. yeah. So they get out of bed. And uh, so my father uh, puts me in the car that I'm going to drive it out of the ditch. He's going to push it. He can't get it out. My father's a big man. He's like 6'4", 220 pounds, you know, farm boy, blissful, everything. And uh, so he's now- bigger than you. He's bigger than me. So now he says, I said, Dad, give me a shot. You get in and drive, I'll, I'll push it. Now, it's that fear strength, right? Like you think, sure. okay, I can't leave this car in the ditch. It's all adrenaline. Oh. So I push it. I push the car out of the ditch. My Here's the weird thing about it. I should have been, he should be pissed at me because I put the car in the ditch in the first place. He's more fired up that he couldn't push it out, but his son-, his son Look what my boy did. He told that story for years. And so I'll never forget. I'm thinking, 
I, I don't know if I fully understood at the time, but I was like, okay, I should be uh, like being chastised for putting the car in the tits, but my father's proud of me because I pushed the car. Just another example of you failing your way up. Totally. Yeah. That's a great example. That's actually probably a perfect example of what's happened so many times in my life. I'll make a mistake, but I feel like I can just go harder and solve it. Solve it. In that case, it worked. Yes, it worked. And as we wrap this up, I'll just give you a little bit of range of trivia because you probably yeah. know this. So there's been three players in the history of the Rangers who've scored five goals in a game. Obviously, you know one because we just had him on, Don Murdoch. Who are the other two? Wow. And I believe you played in one of the games. Mark Pavlich? That's right, yes. Mark Pavlich. I remember that game too, yeah. I remember the funniest thing about Pav. This is a typical story for Pav. God bless him, we lost him. But uh, he after every goal, everybody else in the building's going crazy as you get closer and closer to five. I was like, well, that's my job, guys. What's the big problem? Like, he would skate back to the bench, and everybody's going nuts, and that was just skating back to the bench. Like, seriously, he's looking like, he settled down. Right? It almost looks like it's fake, but you're, that's the way he was, right? Yeah. He just, yep. And that was the real Mark Pavlich, too. That was no, uh, he wasn't making the, making that up. The other, who's the other one? The other one. The other one was recent, and that's why one of the reasons why Pavlich was always my favorite player growing up. But the other one is very recent. Very recent. Kreider? Nope. And it was awesome when he did it, too. Not Panarin. No. Oh, oh, Zabanajet. It was Mika Zabanajet. It's right. Washington getting the fifth that's goal in right. overtime, right. which was awesome. Mika. I, I, I like Mika a lot. Can we do something with the hair, though? That looks awesome. Oh, wow. You sound like the, the old guy yelling at the young kids. No, not months. yelling. Not yelling. No, no. It's just saying, can, no, I asked very clearly, can we do something about it? Like it's, Did you see your hair when you were a player? Yeah, I had the mullet going, yeah. So, it is funny. The Rangers gives us these little cards, these 8 by 10 cards to give out at events, sign them and everything. This here you see it. The picture on the back has got me with a mullet. And the kids will look at it, and then they'll look at me, and they always go back to the parents. That's not him. He's not. He's lying. That's not him. Promise you, it's him. Yeah. We're listening. It's him. And when you see him at these Ranger events, get his autograph. It's tell him to work on it because it looks just like a fourth grader wrote it. But oh, it's terrible. I think that's the only time I ever write now is when I sign it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we got the we joke around because I got a stamp made one time. I had the idea that I was going to stamp all my uh, uh, stuff. People send me. I said I can't. Do that. You can't. That's so cheesy. You can't do that. I didn't. I didn't. But anyway, great uh, episode with the one of the. An incredible goal scorer who, you know, he had some tough times, but he's done yep. great. His, his yeah. hockey life, I'm sure he'd like to go a different way, but his post-hockey life has been great. That's a good thing to see, right? I, I love when people recover like that. We've had so many of those stories, you know, the guys that committed suicide. Or like, try to. Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry. Yes. Try to good side. Um, but, you know, the Richie Pilons, everybody in the world, like they're really helping other people now. Jim Isn't Thompson. That, yeah. Jim Thompson. Corey Hirsch. Corey Hirsch. Yep. Yeah. A lot of good stuff. Belarchuk. Yeah. Belarchuk. Yep. It doesn't seem like that. The, the guys that have gone through those tough times really now are helping so many oh, other yeah. people. It's pretty, pretty sad. I think they all realized in deep in their soul that they just wish they had someone yeah. who was there for them at that time. Or they're going to be that person for somebody else. And that's, yeah. that's awesome. And Donnie said in the pre-interview, he said, look, if I can help one person with my story, I, I'm, I'm more than happy to do it. But sounds good story. Yeah. Good job. He's a great guy. Great show. Yeah. Good job. All right, grasshoppers. Thank you for listening. We had a fantastic show. We'll see you next time.